This week we've been thinking about grace, the undeserved favour that God shows towards us. And it's been another terrific week of readings and reflections in our Words of Hope series. I went back to a book that I read probably 20 years ago, but by Philip Yancey that some of you will know, What's So Amazing About Grace? And I was struck as I was reading that again by these words. Jesus saw grace everywhere, yet he never analysed or defined grace and almost never used the word. Instead, he communicated grace through stories we know as parables. And that really resonated with me. You see, you can, you can pick a beautiful flower, you can uh, catch a butterfly, you can take the photo of a sunset, you can dissect your flower and examine its constituent parts, you can put your butterfly under a microscope, you can examine your photo for its framing and its light and its composition and all of those kinds of things. But in the art of deconstructing some of the beauty of the object can be lost. Now, I think the same is true with grace. We will attempt to deconstruct or define it a little bit later, but I think grace is best described not in terms of a definition, but in terms of stories. And so what I want to do today is to let the stories do the work. And I want to start with a story about grace in Burundi. Hi, my name is Grace Nduimana and um, my mum gave birth to me and abandoned me in a toilet. And the only reason why I didn't drown was because my neck got caught in the U-bend of the toilet. Uh, a local nurse from a hospital nearby found me and she took me into the hospital and cleaned me and disinfected me. And um, proceeded to try and find a home for me and at the time Chrissy Chapman was the only lady taking in babies and um, she agreed to take me in so three days later um, she took me in and I've been living with her ever since um, six months down the line uh, they realized that I was I wasn't reacting to sounds like most babies did um, loud or quiet, I wasn't reacting at all. And so Chrissy took me to a, a Russian specialist who was in town at the time, and um, they examined me and they realized that I was completely deaf in both ears. Um, so Chrissy took me home and she was devastated and she, she, she talked to her friend, um, Pastor Edmund, who came in and anointed both of my ears with oil and for three days straight, I just kept on screaming and they just couldn't understand why I was screaming so much. And um, my, my adopted brother was, walk, was crawling along the floor and he slammed the door and I, 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 sh I was so surprised that I nearly fell off the bed. And they realized that in that moment it was because I'd been screaming for three days straight because I could hear again and just, it was just shocking me. I just couldn't understand what all the sounds were. And so this, um, it was just, it's just something that I can't understand now because God's grace has been so, so, so sufficient in my life. It, um, 
he's he's taken me from a place where I was a baby who was destined to die really and have been given the amazing opportunity of being going to school of being able to go to school in the in the United States and I'm almost finished I'm in my last year of university um, about to graduate in the, with a degree in journalism and God has just been so great to me and there's just nothing that I could ever do or say to be able to communicate my thanks. In 1996, I held this little girl in my arms, a couple of years old, and I was told her story and it absolutely blew me away. And years later, you know, I was single at the time, years later got married and, and I said to my wife Lizzie, if, if ever the Lord gives us, uh, blesses us with a, a daughter, I want to name her the same name because Chrissy gave her the name Grace. It's just the perfect name, isn't it? Because that is my story. That is anyone's story who's come to Jesus, is that God, you know, reaches down to the pit of our lives and picks us up, whether we're multi-merging, rapists, purging idiots in Central Africa or very self-absorbed people, wherever we are, we, we all need God's grace. You can't get out of the pit by yourself. Religion is trying to get out and earn our own righteousness or whatever, and that's impossible. But, you know, Jesus, God with flesh on, comes down, reaches down, picks us up, cleans us off like she was cleaned off, and he says to each one of us, you're beautiful, you're made in my image, I love you, now come on, live for me. And I love it that you know, she's turned out so well and she's living for Jesus, she's had all these opportunities, she's living her dream. And uh, in God's weaving our lives together, the tapestry of our lives, I loved it that sort of 18 years later, she ended up being our babysitter. And one day I was looking at little Grace and, and I said, do you know that you're actually named after Big Grace? And, uh, you know, I look at my little girl, she's, she's my precious, she's our precious gift and she's beautiful. And, and I wanted to know that she's a gift and that everything in life is a gift. So what a stunning story. And uh, she's carrying on living out her dream and uh, we're very excited for her. Destined to die, rescued, cleaned up, given a home, given a family, given hope, given purpose. That is the story of grace. And in our passage, Paul says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, verse one. He says, we were by nature deserving of wrath, verse three. That word means uh, anger or hostility, an expression of strong displeasure. And Paul is describing God's just and righteous response to our sinfulness. Wrath is what we deserve. But, Paul continues, verses four to five, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. That is the story of grace. Jesus told a very famous story about grace, didn't he? About two sons. At the start of the son, the younger son makes a disgraceful request of his father. He asks for his inheritance before his father has died. It was an extraordinary request. And it was an extraordinary response. In those days, it would have been quite normal for a father to have beaten his son for his lack of respect. But instead, the father does give the younger son his share of the inheritance. And we know, I think, how the story goes. The young son squanders uh, his inheritance in wild and riotous living. He gets to his lowest point, he comes to his senses, 
and he decides to go home. And the father was waiting for him, looking for him, hoping, praying for his safe return. In our reflections earlier this week, Ellen referred to this parable as a story of the running father based on Luke 15:20. His father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. No apology had been uttered, but the father welcomed him home. And even more, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So the son had wasted his money, his father's inheritance, on extravagant, unrestrained living. But the father restored his son with extravagant, unrestrained generosity. And that is the story of grace. Extravagance and generosity are what grace is all about. Here's another story. The foreign film Three Seasons is a series of vignettes about life in post-war Vietnam. And one of the, the vignettes is a story about Hai, who is a, a rickshaw driver, and Lan, who is a beautiful prostitute. Hai is in love with Lan, but Lan is beyond his price range. Lan would love to live in the beautiful hotels that she gets to spend the occasional night in, but cannot afford for herself. She is enslaved, trapped, brutalised by her profession. And then one day, High wins a rickshaw race, and with the money, he approaches Lan and asks to spend a night with her in the hotel. And they get to the hotel, and High says to Lan, I don't want to sleep with you, I just want to watch you fall asleep. Lan is deeply suspicious of lies, of, of High's motives, but she falls asleep. And eventually she comes around to realising that Hai is genuine, that he wants the best for her. And this generous act of spending all of his available resources uh, to give um, Lan one peaceful night of sleep blows her mind and she's unable to go back to her life of prostitution. That is the story of grace. That is a story of grace, a free gift that transforms us. In our passage, Paul writes, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Grace is a free gift that transforms us. There's nothing we can do to earn grace, no good, no good works that we can perform to merit grace, but grace results in us doing good works out of gratitude for the mercy that we have received. And this was John Newton's story, the author of the words of the hymn that we so often sing, Amazing Grace. 
how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. John Newton was 18 years of age when he was captured and enlisted into the Royal Navy. Two years later, he found himself on a ship, the ship Pegasus, bound for West Africa, but he didn't get on with the crew and they left him there. And a slave trader took him and gave him to his wife as a slave and she mistreated him. Well, his father um, initiated a search for him and three years later, he was rescued. And on his way back on another ship, the, the, the ship Greyhound, he had a spiritual conversion. Uh, one particular night, the ship was caught in a terrific storm and it looked as if uh, things were, were going to go very badly. And he cried out to God for mercy and help. And he was saved. The ship was saved. And in reflecting on that and on his rescue, he became a Christian. He was converted, a slave, searched for, found, rescued, restored, grateful. That is a story of grace. And some sometime later he wrote, I am not what I might be. I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I wish to be. I'm not what I hope to be. But I thank God that I am not what I once was and can say with the great apostle, by the grace of God, I am what I am. So four stories. Grace in Burundi, the prodigal son, high and land, John Newton. Four stories of grace. Philip Yancey brings out the beauty of grace when he says that grace means there's nothing we can do to make God love us more, and there's nothing we can do to make God love us less. And God's grace comes to us through Jesus Christ. John, in the opening words of his gospel, writes, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And this is one of the points that Paul is bringing out in this passage in Ephesians 2, verses 7 to 8. God raised us up with Christ and settled us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God expresses his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Grace comes through Jesus Christ. There's a story about the Apostle Paul at, uh, sorry, the Apostle Peter at the Purdy Gates and he's checking everyone coming into heaven and he's getting flustered and frustrated because the numbers on his clipboard aren't tallying. And um, people seem to be getting into heaven's courts without his knowledge. And he sighs and he says, it's Jesus. Jesus just keeps smuggling people into heaven over the back wall. Well, there's no smuggling required. The father welcomes every single one, just like the prodigal son. But I love the suggestion that Jesus isn't satisfied with the numbers. He just wants one more. 
And that's, of course, what the, the three parables in Luke 15, including the parable of the prodigal son, are all about. There will be more rejoicing in heaven, Jesus says, over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need to repent. Do we get God's heart in all of this? Can you imagine, for example, a head teacher saying, there's more joy in the staff room over one child who starts trying than over 99 who are already trying? Or can we imagine a company chairman saying, there's more satisfaction in the boardroom over one person who starts performing than over 99 who are already performing? I think we find it hard to imagine scenarios like that. And yet that's how we are to imagine God. Jesus didn't give the parables to teach us how to live, Yancey writes. He gave them, I believe, to correct our notions about who God is and who God loves. So what I invite you to do as I draw to a close is to reflect on these stories that I've shared the true ones and the made-up ones, and to ask yourself some questions. What do they teach you about God? What notions about God might they correct? What do they tell you about who God loves? What do they tell you about God's love for you? What do they suggest about your response to God's love. Our God is a God of grace.